Hey everybody, welcome to Pushing Back. Today we're going to talk about the invasion from Black Lives Matter into our school system and the Marxist ideology being peddled to our children. Also, Biden tries to revitalize Medicare with major tax hikes, and he's going to kill all the innovation. And finally, new Twitter files reveal the censorship of true information. Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger testify to Congress about the government crackdown on speech and information that isn't part of the official government narrative. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Paul Heron, and you're listening to Pushing Back. All right, so Black Lives Matter as an organization came about to fight perceived social injustices. At least that's what they told everybody that they were doing. But they don't care about justice. They care about uprooting our ideas of justice and replacing them. And in that way, they're about power. And BLM frames the entire world around power. They claim that our entire country is built on a power structure meant to keep certain groups down. And in this way, BLM isn't fighting instances of perceived racism or instances of injustice. They're fighting all of the systems of our world writ large. They use individual instances of so-called injustice as ammunition to spark a revolution. It doesn't matter that the hands up, don't shoot was a lie. It doesn't matter that George Floyd was a career criminal who once robbed a pregnant woman by holding a gun to her pregnant belly and who at the time of his death had a fatal amount of fentanyl in his system. It doesn't matter to BLM because they don't want justice. They want to reconstruct our society politically. But to what end? Putting the why on hold for a minute, let's discuss the how. Corrupt social movements like BLM must recruit, like a cult would. They have to recruit members and groom them into the angry, narcissistic, ungrateful, lustful, and ultimately violent activists that make up their most effective leaders. It is difficult to take adults who have already defined their place in the world and developed a sense of objective morality and mold them into grifting activists. So they target children. They've had some success in perverting adult generations, but only by intimidation and creating a social reward system for putting the talking points in your Twitter bio. Also, the decades of attacking traditional ideals like hard work, meritocracy, strong families, religious values. But the BLM cult leaders have to target the youngest in our society to keep their cult growing and to keep the funding going as the new generations of workers and business owners that will run tomorrow's corporate world will have already drank from the fountain and will give money in compliance to their cult leaders. Black Lives Matter in School is an organization dedicated to filtering the ideals and worldview of social activism, institutional racism, and critical race theory into our schools to be digested on a daily basis by our children. 
facilitated by activists that are hell-bent on curating your child's view of the world. They provide curriculum recommendations to schools. They partner with large organizations, such as the African American Policy Forum, the Communities for Just School Fund, and even the National Education Association. The NEA is the largest teachers' union in the country. Teachers' unions are powerful enough to dictate curriculum nationwide. They take money from teachers, paid for by the state, and then direct that money into political campaigns, bargaining against the taxpayer for taxpayer dollars. Public sector unions shouldn't even exist, but we'll get into that another time. The point is that they are able to direct funds into extreme political lobbying, grabbing more power and more control over your children, while soaking up immense amount of money that they then use to start the process all over again. Black Lives Matter is an organization that the power-hungry, political-lobbying, neo-Marxist teachers' unions love to ally with. Because BLM is a Marxist organization. Two of the founders have self-identified as trained Marxists. Now, BLM at school promotes an annual week of action. And it comes with a starter kit. In the kit is materials for the 13 guiding principles of BLM, as well as how to talk to young children about those guiding principles. They promote transgenderism, globalism, because this is, of course, part of a much bigger globalist movement, restorative justice, the racism in policing. They teach that black kids are at a disadvantage because the system they were born into oppresses them giving privilege to white kids at their expense. This is part of the curriculum. Now, it's not factually true that the system gives privilege to white kids at the expense of black kids, but more importantly, that's a dangerous way to divide children, and it creates a lens in which children must view the world. If you view the world through the BLM lens, then you must act You must fight the foundations of our country, because if you aren't an activist attempting to overthrow our country into a new revolution, then you are upholding an unjust system. The Virginia Teachers Union have published their BLM at School Week of Action Toolkit. This is a toolkit of material to be taught to children K-12. through Some of the elementary school lesson plans include looking at race and racial identity in children's books. This is to be taught to children K-5. through Imagine talking to kindergartners about racial identity in children's books. It encourages students to discuss the concept of beauty as it overlaps with race and racial identity. They also have a section on digital communities for K-2. through Kindergartners should not be part of digital communities. That's horrible for them. And In every way. They say you should use food in some of the teachings to practice fellowship over a meal. I'm getting the cult vibes from that uh, pretty hard here. By sixth grade, students should be able to explain all 13 of the BLM principles. And then they get super political, talking about how local and state laws suppress voters. Now, we know that the left says voter ID is voter suppression, 
And they say that Georgia's voter laws are Jim Crow 2.0, even though they had the highest black turnout in history. They are teaching these children radical left-wing talking points. They say the words advance racial justice. And to anybody paying attention, whenever somebody puts a modifier before the word justice, they aren't actually interested in justice. Uh, Working towards a queer-affirming network where heteronormative thinking no longer exists. That's part of the lesson's plan, too. I, I hate to break it to these people, but hetero behavior is normative. It always has been. That's how humans procreate. In case you haven't noticed, people can't reproduce in homosexual relationships. Arguing that relationships with reproductive capabilities isn't the normal doesn't even make sense. All mammals are heteronormative. They say they want the disruption of Western nuclear family dynamics. That's a direct quote. Dismantling cisgender privilege. Lesson plans encourage students to get involved with BLM activism. There it is. There's the... uh, Cult recruitment. There's a tip sheet for organizers to build a list of activities and volunteers for future engagement. A sixth grade research question reading, how will you liberate yourself and your oppressors? I encourage everyone to really think about what it means for our country that this is how our children are being taught to view America and the world around them. This PLM is peddling Marxist ideas. That capitalism needs to be eliminated. That meritocracy is bad. Personal responsibility shouldn't matter. That people aren't individuals. They're just part of a group. That people shouldn't be judged as individuals. People can't be held accountable for their actions as individuals or for their success. But they can only be viewed as part of a larger group. They've taken Marx's divide between the proletariat and the bourgeoisie, and they've expanded it by race and sexual identity. The struggle of the oppressed to be liberated from the white power complex. Now, the media, of course, runs cover for the pervasive Marxist ideology. In 2020, in response to claims that BLM was a Marxist organization, an article from PolitiFact said, These days, Marxism usually means analyzing social change through an economic lens with the assumption that the rich and the poor should become more equal. But no, it doesn't. It isn't some small thing, some innocuous wording by critics. You see how they do that? They they make it seem fine, overblown. But it is, in fact, a real threat. By invading the school system, these people have unfettered access to our children. They're going to pervert our kids with this evil, turn them into Marxist ideologues. And fundamentally, they will change our country forever. Unless we draw a line in the sand. And we've got to do it now, before it really is too late. Before we move on, if you like the show, please give me a five-star rating, follow or subscribe, and share the show on social media. If you have an iTunes account, please give me a rating and review. It really helps the algorithm and helps the show grow. Head on over to pushingbackpodcast.com, 
go to the contact page and send me a message. If there's something you want me to talk about, if you have feedback on the show or anything else, let me know. All right, so Biden is rolling out a plan that he says will extend Medicare solvency. His plan is supposed to extend the life of the Medicare trust fund by at least 25 years without benefit cuts while lowering costs for Medicare beneficiaries. I mean, it's really just a huge tax increase, though. As the Wall Street Journal reports, the administration would extend the Affordable Care Act's 3.8% surtax on investment income to business, business income. Pair that with jacking up the rate to 5%, but punitively only for those earning north of $400,000. The current net investment tax kicks in at 250000 for married couples. So call the new tax bracket a surtax on the surtax. This is a classic story of how destructive taxes inevitably expand. The Obamacare investment tax was sold as a nibble paid only by the richest. You'll never even know it's there. But now government can dial it up to pay for this or that, whatever they want. The investment tax wasn't indexed to inflation, which means over time it has ensnared more Americans and all the faster with high inflation. The Biden plan would also increase the top Medicare payroll tax on wages to 5% for those earning $400,000. So we're looking at a top federal tax rate of about 42%, maybe even higher. And then couple that with the exorbitant tax rates in blue states like California and New York. And then, of course, having to raise taxes dramatically just to keep our current Medicare system afloat means that the Medicare for all that the Democrats are always talking about, well, that's obviously nothing but a fairy tale. We can't even pay for what we have now. And of course, those of us on the right have been saying that from the very beginning, but Democrats don't want to listen. And of course, the Inflation Reduction Act allowed Medicare to cap the prices on, of certain drugs, and now, slippery slope style, Biden wants Medicare to control more drugs and even drugs newer to the market and those of us who said well that's going to happen we were mocked they said no no that, it's it's just these drugs this it's not going to expand the inflation reduction act has already had a negative effect on drug research and we probably won't know the full impact on research and development for cancer and alzheimer drugs for years maybe never and the negative effects that, effects that it's had on patients. Investment is cooled, and it eventually stops. This is why almost all major medical research and development is done in the U.S. Because the rest of the world did what the Dems are doing now. The reasonable thing to do is to tell the rest of the world that they cannot price bargain on drugs made in the U.S. Because that's what they do. They price bargain and we let them. And so they buy our drugs at below market cost. And so we pay above market cost. And for our government to do the same thing is just going to cut funding for research and development. Make the rest of the world pay market price. Their prices will go up a bit and ours will go down. Because American consumers are footing the bill because of government price controls, and we have been the last haven for drug development because of it. 
Now the Dems are going to follow the same path, and research and development are going to fade here also. So the left is content with making bad decisions that will have all of the negative consequences without even tackling the underlying reasons that make our entitled programs insolvent. So, nailed it again, Biden. It truly amazes me how much damage Biden can do with only the, you know, the mental capacity of a houseplant. The House Select Committee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government held its second hearing, where they heard testimony from journalists Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger, two of the main journalists responsible for the dissemination of the Twitter files. Now, they were testifying on how the government has used big tech to censor dissenting views. We've seen in recent days how far those in power will go to quell any dissent. With the backlash of Tucker Carlson and his release of the January 6th tapes, Chuck Schumer stood in front of the Senate and tried to convince everybody that it's undemocratic to hear a view that's different from the official government narrative. And they aren't even shy about that anymore. So Matt Taibbi said, We learned Twitter, Facebook, Google, and other companies developed a formal system for taking in moderation requests from every corner of government. From the FBI, the DHS, the HHS, DOD, the Global Engagement Center at State, even the CIA. A focus of this fast-growing network is making lists of people whose opinions, beliefs, associations, or sympathies are deemed misinformation, disinformation, or malinformation. That latter term is just a euphemism for true but inconvenient. I want to stop for a second, point to part of the newest Twitter files that dropped. That was actually dropped just hours before the congressional hearing. Information to be censored included true content, which might promote vaccine hesitancy. True content. (laughs) Unbelievable. Viral posts of individuals expressing vaccine hesitancy, of stories of true vaccine side effects. It says this content is not clearly mis- or disinformation, but may be malinformation. Also included are often true posts that could fuel hesitancy, such as individual countries banning certain vaccines. Now, don't you think the public should be able to know if countries are banning certain vaccines? Isn't that part of informed consent? How can you consent have how can you consent to having a drug put in you if it, you're not informed? Censoring true information. They're censoring true things, guys. Outright saying to to ban and censor even if they're true. In his testimony for the committee, Schellenberger spoke of the censorship slide he saw in reviewing the internal Twitter communications. Said the bar for bringing in military-grade government monitoring and speech-countering techniques has moved from countering terrorism to countering extremism to countering simple misinformation, otherwise known as being wrong on the internet. The government no longer needs the predicate of calling you a terrorist or an extremist to deploy government resources to counter your political activity. The only predicate it needs is the assertion that the opinion you expressed on social media is wrong. 
being wrong isn't even a prerequisite for censorship requests, however. With the Virality Project, headed out of Stanford Internet Observatory, reportedly pushing multiple platforms to censor true content, which might promote vaccine hesitancy. Now, the Virality Project was created by the Stanford Internet Observatory, and it works with state-funded universities, and they work with and have deep ties to government agencies like the CDC, the Office of the Surgeon General. They're taking a government narrative and not only pushing that narrative, but censoring any information, true or not, that contradicts them. This isn't about elections. It's not about the medical community. This isn't even just about Twitter. There were YouTube videos and accounts flagged for an anti-Ukraine narrative. When all of media is curated by government actors, how is the population supposed to believe what they are told? This is a scary situation. For every government agency scanning Twitter, Taibbi said, there were perhaps 20 quasi-private entities doing the same, including Stanford's Election Integrity Project, NewsGuard, the Global Disinformation Index, and others, many taxpayer-funded. Now, we talked about the Global Disinformation Index on this show not all that long ago. They are a group that compiles secretive lists of news organizations and then encourages major corporations to boycott them. To control which news organizations survive by controlling the advertising dollars. Advertisers looking to advertise their products online contract with such disinformation groups for advice on which websites to hire. The index has kept a running list of blacklisted websites that include The Federalist, The American Spectator, Newsmax, The American Conservative, One American News, The Blaze, The Hill, The Daily Wire, Real Clear Politics, Reason, and The New York Post. The Department of State has been funding disinformation indexes, and the GDI has received $330,000 in taxpayer money. NewsGuard, another censorship group subsidized by federal tax dollars, strives to discredit websites critical of establishment narratives. While GDI works with advertisers to recommend where to spend their marketing budgets, NewsGuard is a browser extension that rates the credibility of news organizations. The software, which is being deployed in schools nationwide now, downgrades conservative websites while offering perfect scores to legacy outlets that botch the Hunter Biden laptop story. Among other stories, obviously, Russian collusion. In September of 2021, NewsGuard was the recipient of a nearly $750,000 contract from the Department of Defense. So private groups run by ideologues decide what information we're allowed to get, and then the government pays them for it like good little dogs. This is the part, guys, where a democracy turns on its people. This is the part where authoritarianism is born. And make no mistake, the Democrats are all in on this. They have bought the ticket 
and they've boarded the train. Democrats in the committee were trying to drag down Taibbi and Schellenberger. They were trying to downplay government's role in all this to discredit the journalists. They tried to get their sources. They are all in on it. By this point, I mean, if you're, if you're politically to the right of Mao, you're called a right-wing extremist. If you've ever shown any suspicion on the internet, they might have you flagged too. It won't be long before human resources departments all over create task forces to sniff out and punish government dissent. Political ideas you post online will be enough to kick in your door and take you away for interrogation. Now, if that all sounds over the top, well, government is paying top institutions to censor true information just because it isn't part of the official government narrative. So we live in extreme times already. Our only hope is that our friends on the left cut themselves loose from a party that has left them. They're voting for a Democrat party that isn't the same as it was 20 years ago. They have to realize they are, they are in a cult now, run by an authoritarianism that at this point is its own religious dogma. Censoring true information on one end while invading schools with Marxist ideology on the other. Truly, truly unbelievable stuff. I look forward to seeing, in real time, people's eyes opened by this madness as all the information begins to come out. And once enough eyes are opened, this nonsense can begin to be stomped out. But we can't just wait for that to happen. We have to be part of the solution. Don't let them silence you. This is still America, and we still outnumber them greatly even if it doesn't feel that way sometimes. I still believe it. People are afraid to speak out and be labeled an extremist, but the reckoning is coming. Hard times make strong men, and strong men make good times. Hopefully sooner rather than later. All right, if you like this show, again, please give me a rating, follow or subscribe, find me on Twitter and Facebook, Pushing Back Podcast. Go to pushingbackpodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Paul Heron, and I'll see you next time on Pushing Back.